Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. According to the Deseret News National Edition, in the spring of 2009, California-based writer Cheryl Kohlberg did the math and estimated that she spent four months of her year using some form of entertainment technology, whether watching TV or surfing the internet. So Kohlberg proposed a bold plan to her husband, a marketing executive, and their five-year-old daughter, rid their home of all technology, from TV and phones to the internet and digital cameras, for one full year. The result is Kohlberg's newly released book, A Year Unplugged, Family's Life Without Technology. She says, we went back to the 80s, basically. I got out my record player and typewriter. We used the phone book and paper maps. It enhanced our relationships with our friends and family. Technology takes that away from us. We'll be referencing this uh, fine article by uh, Chandra Johnson from the Deseret News and uh, talking with Cheryl Kohlberg, who uh, joins us uh, on the line. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, joining us. We're also joined by Washington, D.C. leadership coach and author Christy Hedges. Welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much. Thank you. Beverly Hills family psychotherapist and author Fran Walfish joins us. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tom. Hello. Thank you. And uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts writer, technology consultant, mother of five, Janelle Burley-Hoffman joins us as well. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? Oh, doing well. And we'd like to hear from you. Uh, maybe you have unplugged. Uh, the question I said on Twitter this morning was, would you unplug? Kind of ironic, sending that on Twitter. Um, but if you are currently unplugged, you can call us, 1-800-826-1495, toll-free anywhere you're listening. Our email is upraxis at gmail.com. And, of course, we are on Twitter. I want to start with uh, Janelle Burley-Hoffman. You say in this article that uh, we as Americans are in a great pause. What's the great pause? Well, I think we're at this turning point right now where we were very excited for quite some time about the the new technology and it and it happened very suddenly, especially the portable technology. And I think we're taking this collective exhale to say, okay, the technology is here to stay, but how do we want to use it? And how do we want it in our homes and in our places of business and in our school districts? And what's what's the best practice here? So I think we're all stepping back from the technology, reassessing, and then looking to curate our own experiences with the technology. Mm-hmm. You uh, you talk about how we're catching up. I guess the, the technology is, is pretty cool, and we can do a lot of new things with it, but but there are some downsides, and that's well, that's what you're saying. We're, we're kind of stepping back and looking at that. Exactly, exactly. It's exciting to have it all at once and have, and certainly the cla- it enhances the classroom and it makes our workplace um, really, you know, we can work from home, we can work from the road, we can be traveling, work, and, and all of those things are to be celebrated when they're, when they're used in balance and they're used mindfully. But what does that mean for each of us as individuals and also part of organizations and families and communities as well? Mm. Cheryl Kohlberg, uh, in this, um, I just referenced this, you did the math and you're probably, you know, a lot of us are probably like you, four months of your year using some form of entertainment technology. What was, was that the catalyst? What was the catalyst for, for um, embarking on this year-long adventure? Well, you know, it started, I and mean, we were living in Silicon Valley at the time, and so, like most people in that area, and, and all over the world, really, we were very immersed in our technology. We always had the latest gadgets and were, you know, using everything every day. And it wasn't until my daughter was homesick from school and she asked if she could watch television. And I was like, oh, of course, because I had issues to do and laundry to put away and emails to check. And so I turned on the TV and before I knew it, the day was over and she had been watching TV all day and it pretty much went on for three days that she was home from school, and it just really struck me how easy it is to get sucked into technology, whether it's the television or the Internet or email or Facebook, and I really thought, you know, I want to spend my time with my family and not be sucked into these technology devices. So my husband and I had to talk about it, and Basically, basically, we said, what what is taking time away from our family? And it ended up being, you know, like I said, the Internet, email, TV. So we said, let's just take a break and, and see what happens. And it was a really interesting year, a lot of ups and downs for sure. <laughs> no, you innocently say, let's just take a break. <laughs> I'm sure there was some, I don't know, pushback or, or some, I don't know. There was some discussion, I'm sure, between you and your, you and your husband and, and from your daughter. 
Yeah, it was interesting because my husband was like, he didn't really think it was going to be that big of a deal. He was like, yeah, okay, that sounds, you know, like fine. But we didn't, um, we didn't just wake up one day and say, okay, let's turn everything off. We really put a lot of forethought into it and said, you know, what do we really want to get out of this year and how are we going to go about it? So we did a lot of planning before we turned everything off. We went to Toys R Us and bought a bunch of board games and joined the Sierra Club so we could go on hikes and things like that. And then when we were really ready to pull the plug, we did one technology a day for two weeks. So we started with we got rid of the television, and then the next day we got rid of the Internet. And so it was a real process. It wasn't, you know, just cold turkey, which I don't think I could have done. Mm -hmm. So we really did put a lot of time planning into it. And now, of course, for work, you, you know, most of us probably couldn't unplug. So your, your husband still was plugged in at work. Yeah, it was really just in our home that we did away with the technology. And I wasn't working it that year. I was a stay-at-home mom, so I had the luxury of, you know, not having to be online. But, yeah, my husband was plugged in at work. But once he got home, there was, you know, no technology at home. Mm -hmm. And you say you basically went back to the 80s. You, you, you This included word processing. You got a typewriter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I went to my dad's house and, and got my old typewriter from college and, my record player from middle school, and it was really fun to share with my daughter, who was five at the time, what it was like in my childhood when we didn't have any of these technologies. So it was it was fun, and we actually ended up, whenever we would go on vacation that year, we would try to find a thrift store and buy records for 50 cents. So it was, it was kind of a fun experiment. Mm. And uh, what about your daughter, uh, five years old? I imagine she mm -hmm. she wanted her movies and TV and, you know, Hannah Montana. She was hooked on Hannah Montana. Yeah, definitely. She was a big uh, Disney Channel, uh, you know, fan for sure. And she pretty much protested from day one till day, you know, the, the very last day pretty much. Um, she would kind of come and go with her, her you know, attitudes like, some days she really was adamant, like, when are we getting the TV back, you know? And and then other days she, over the year, learned how to be more independent and more creative. She would get out her paints and, um, you know, work on art projects and things like that. But but it was, it was never easy. I mean, she really was, you know, as most kids today are hooked on everything from the television to their iPads to their video games. It definitely was not easy for her. Hmm. As we go along, we'll, we'll get the experience outlined in the book, A Year Unplugged, uh, from Cheryl Kohlberg. And uh, she, she says, overall, it's, it's been a good experience. And what happened going back? We'll, we'll ask that question as well. Uh, I want to go back to uh, Janelle Burley Hoffman at this, uh, this point. Uh, you, you say in this article, Deseret News, uh, Chandra Johnson's article, um, that what happens is we start filling in all the space with technology. What, what space are you talking about? So I, I think it's important, Cheryl mentioned it too, that we just don't realize how many corners of our life the, the technology invades in a lot of ways. And so it's about stepping back and saying, okay, if I'm making dinner, that's what I'm doing. Or if I'm at my desk writing an article, that's what I'm doing. Because there's, there's so much crossover. And I would find myself, you know, as a, as a mother of five children, grades, first grade through high school, you know, it's, I'm doing a lot of the heads down, one more minute, one minute, I'm just finishing this up, but there's this sense that we're never actually done with anything, whether it's a group text with family members or our business emails or anything like that. It's, it's hard to have the sense of completion, and it's up to us as individuals to say, you know what, I'm going to protect certain areas of my days from the technology infiltrating. So perhaps that's dinner time or bedtime with our kids or in the office we're going to say you know for the first 30 minutes I'm just checking my email and I'm not going to be watching an internet video or you know in engaging in other discussions maybe it's our you know personal text messages and all of that so we owe it to ourselves to have that discipline but also that level of awareness to protect to protect ourselves from really being flooded with the technology mm -hmm. and and I work with a lot of professionals who are also you know members of a family, and they're saying it's very hard to, to balance that because it's great that we can work from anywhere, but then it's also a real challenge that we can work from anywhere because we're never actually fully present in just one place. Yeah, not fully present. Yeah, that, that resonates with me. Probably 
resonate with my wife as well if you've <laughs> talked to her about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's usually a couple thing, too. I hear it, that it from is. a lot of couples. It is. Uh, in Cheryl Colbert's book, uh, she cites this from Nielsen Company, the number of minutes per week an average child watches television, 1,680. The number of minutes per week uh, parents spend in meaningful conversations with their children, 3.5. I want to direct this to friend Walfish. Uh, you, you talk about uh, how this technology affects relationships. That's a pretty stark statistic. It certainly is, and I'm I'm struck listening by Cheryl and and Janelle and Christy and you because um, you're talking about the invasiveness of technology and invading all kinds of areas of life. I am the voice of the child and the family. In my Beverly Hills practice, I, I meet with children hour after hour after hour. And m- many years ago, when technology first emerged, the complaint I heard from children, and granted, I'm in a privileged area, pocket of 90210, where there's a lot of money. So these kids have all the technology available to them, and the families do. The number one complaint from the children was that their parents were locked in a triangle. It was mommy, me, and the cell phone, Mm. or daddy, me, and the computer. They never had two eyes sustained on on them, on the child. And it was a terribly, terribly lonely feeling for these kids. Um, Dr. Madeline Levine up in Northern California wrote a book called The Price of Privilege, and it's a, it, is about teenagers who cut themselves because they don't feel contact enough connection with their parents or their families and the blood flow makes them feel alive those are kids who have all the privilege in the world but they don't have the connection of relationship so that's how um the children began to complain about technology. And then, about 10 years ago, I saw the same population of children beginning to complain that they wanted more access to um, cell phones and their own computers. They had sort of bought into the world that they lived in, They had kind of accepted the cards, the hand they were dealt. Their parents were going to be addicted, uh, if you will, to technology. It was going to be a threesome. They were never going to be able to sustain their parents' uh, eye contact and, and sustained attention. So they wanted the technology, too. And I met with a, an 11-year-old boy who was in the fifth grade. This particular boy was from a, a, a stratospherically wealthy family. They could afford to buy anything. And this family chose family values for their kids. They did not want electronics. So they chose not to buy any electronics. They didn't have a television set in the house. They lived in a a mansion like the White House, but they had no electronics. And one day, the Beverly Hills Police Department came to the fifth grade class to talk about protection, self-defense. And the police asked the kids in the class, to raise their hand. How many of you have your own cell phone? And this boy was one of only three kids that could not raise his hand. And the public humiliation of shame in front of his classmates made him go to his parents, cry a river of tears, make the appeal. They came to me 
we discussed it, and that was the opening of the door of when is appropriate to allow him technology. But technology has really affected relationships within families and even teenagers who are dating. It mm. affects everyone. We'll uh, fo- follow that thread uh, along. Uh, relationships, uh, I think, from all of my guests, uh, are, are the biggest casualty, perhaps potential casualty, of uh, technology. Uh, we're talking uh, about uh, going unplugged. One family did it, Cheryl Kohlberg's family. She talks about it in her book, A Year Unplugged, Family's Life Without Technology. We're asking you, could you do it? Have you done it? What do you think? 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter as well. Let me bring in uh, Christy Hedges. I wonder if you tell me about the, there's a physiological reaction to technology that I think we're, we probably don't focus on. Yeah, Tom, there's, there's uh, and, and many of, of the folks have already mentioned uh, the ramifications of that, but so I'm a leadership coach and I work in organizations, so uh, how I look at being unplugged is about the overwhelm that exists in so many organizations with leaders, and particularly senior leaders, but certainly all levels, uh, and a feeling like we can't get away from, from the technology. And, and what I find in, in working with folks is that we make a lot of assumptions that we can't get away, but we have more control than we think we do. Um, one of the problems is uh, the physical reaction that, that you mentioned. And uh, if you haven't read, there's a Newsweek article called I Crazy, which is great and talks about this in quite a bit of detail. Um, that there is such a thing now uh, is a, in a medical condition of Internet addiction, for example. Uh, and you could just extrapolate that out to all kinds of social media addiction where we feel like we have to to be there. It's almost uh, they said that we get a, a dopamine um, hit when we look uh, for our email or we go online, and so it feels really good to us. And one of the things I, that I found in that same Newsweek article that was most interesting was that it's, it's sort of the perfect storm for addiction because uh, if it's, a, it's an intermittent reward. So sometimes we go and we have a great email, and sometimes we go and we don't have anything, but we keep chasing that great email. So uh, we, we check more than we think we need to. And so within organizations or in families, uh, certainly, and, and trying to balance work and life, uh, we make these assumptions without really critically thinking of them about them, uh, whether or not we actually have to, you know, check that email at eight o'clock, or we have to look in on Facebook just because other people might be on there, or we have to, you know, within organizations, um, be available all the time just because we can be available all the time. Yeah, the, the tethering. We've we've done a couple programs on that. That's I have some friends who are very concerned about. Uh, uh, their employer wanting them to be on call at, at all times. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have an email from uh, Lynn McNeil, who uh, uh, is uh, urging us to uh, to not uh, totally blame TV or technology in and of itself. That's a, that's a good point. We'll get into that email. Yours as well, we hope. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. We're asking you what the effects of technology are on your family, your life. Would you go unplugged? Could you? Uh, is it advisable? Uh, maybe you disagree with this uh, idea. And uh, you can join us by email as well to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. More following the break. I'm Fred Child. Join me for a horse and carriage ride as we take a tour of historic Charleston, South Carolina, the old-fashioned way. Plus, musical highlights from the Spoleto Festival USA in Charleston, including this brassy chardosh, on the next Performance Today from APM. Tuesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Lyric Repertory Company, 2015 summer season through July 31st. Presenting and then there were none. Noises off, last train to Nimbrock, and the mystery of Edwin Drood. Details at arts.usu.edu slash lyric. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about technology today. Uh, and uh, a family that went unplugged for a year. The book is A Year Unplugged, A Family's Life Without Technology. The author is Cheryl Kohlberg. Uh, her husband and a young daughter uh, did this experiment, and uh, she talks about uh, the effects uh, in, in the book. We're also talking about the effects of uh, technology in our lives. 
and uh, my guests include uh, Washington, D.C. leadership coach and author Christy Hedges. We're talking with Beverly Hills family psychotherapist and author Fran Walfish and Cape Cod, Massachusetts writer, technology consultant, Mother 5, Janelle Burley Hoffman. They're all featured in a Desert News National Edition article by Chandra Johnson. You're welcome to join us here at 1-800-826-1495. That's toll-free. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter as well. We're asking you, uh, what do you think about uh, technology in your life? What is the effect? Would you go unplugged? Could you? Have you? And uh, we uh, have our guests with us for another 20 minutes or so. Uh, here's an email from our friend uh, Lynn McNeil, who's in the English department at uh, Utah State University. Uh, she says, as one who studies the cultural impact of technology, I think we have to be careful about blaming technology for our social ills. Blaming TV or the Internet for families not interacting anymore is like blaming the newspaper for the standoffish behavior of the stereotypical 1950s dad. It's important to remember that technology, quote-unquote, is a moving target. Landline telephones used to be technology. Newspaper printing used to be technology. The plow used to be technology. These technologies, quote-unquote, affected social life, too, and we managed to work it out. Newspapers, computers, and TVs don't make decisions. We do. If technology is invading or infiltrating, it's because we're letting it. It's important to remember that we're in charge. We make the choices. We can cut out technology all we want, but there will always be new tools available to us. If we're being rude or disconnected or antisocial with these that, those tools, that's on us. That's uh, Lynn McNeil from uh, USU. Let me uh, start, get a reaction from uh, each of you to that. There's some good points there. Cheryl Kohlberg first. Um, I think you were, you were doing this for a year. You're always going to go back. W- what was your what was the goal? Well, you know, one of the things that um, I wanted to mention that was the biggest takeaway for us, our goal was just to really get back to spending time as a family, um, that we felt that was really important and that, and that the technology was taking that time away from us. But one of the things that we really learned from the experiment was, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, maybe not easy, but it's one thing for us to say, we don't want to be on our cell phone, we don't want to be on email, things like that. But the, the hard part was people's reactions to our not being readily accessible. And people really got angry that they couldn't reach us at a moment's notice, that they couldn't call us on our cell phone. We only had our, our landline at home. And so that was really hard. And I think that society as a whole, we really need to support each other in minimizing technology usage and realize that that, you know, most people can't live with that technology for work, but in your personal lives, you can make that choice to live without it. And for those of us who want to, we really need to support those actions. And I think that that's, you know, a really big message out there to to uh, minimize the technology and support those who choose to do that. That says something about society, doesn't it? That uh, people got yeah. got upset, got angry. They couldn't they couldn't yeah. reach you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let me turn to uh, Janelle Burley Hoffman next. Uh, what do you make of, uh, of of Lynn's point that uh, yeah, you know te- technology yeah, is a moving target? Really... Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's really worthy of discussing that because certainly um, my career and you know communication with family that lives across the country via FaceTime or Skype. I mean, there's a lot of things that the technology brings to our lives that does make it better. So it's. It's about using the technology for its highest good and then really addressing some of those challenges and putting limits in those places where it's not making our lives better. When I work with young people, when I work with teenagers or even professionals, I say, you know, what is working for you with the technology and how is it making your life better? So let's really capitalize on the ways that it's positive and eliminate some of the challenges where we can, whether it's setting personal or professional boundaries. And I think another important point that I've seen in my personal life is that the technology can be used to build positive relationships. So like I said, I have a, a son who's in high school, and often um, you know, we'll share pictures or texts, or maybe there's a news article that comes up, and he'll send it to me like, hey, Mom, I want to discuss this later. So it, it can be a place where we share comedy or sports scores or all of these places where when we use it deliberately and mindfully, it can have a positive effect on relationships. It's, it's when we use it absentmindedly or we use it in a way to self-soothe or those, those spots I think we find it becomes more challenging or, you know, we, we find ourselves addicted or sc- the scroll for no reason. So having the, 
the courage or the discipline to say, you know, I want to set some boundaries for myself, for my family, um, in, in, in the workplace. But I also, I think it's really an exciting tool to use and we can use it in a positive way. Christy Hedges, I want to frame the Lynn's point this way to you. Is there something new and different and more inherently problematic about the, the newest technology or or does, does Lynn have a point? It's just uh, it's just whatever the latest technology is, we want to blame for for our ills. Well, you know, I thought that was a great point because, as I had mentioned before, you know, in my work with, with leaders is that, you know, people sometimes, it's almost like there's this massive group think about technology and certainly new technology, and maybe it's a little bit of a fear of missing out, that if everybody's doing it, we feel like we need to do it too, uh, no matter how much of our time it takes up. And we forget that we uh, we actually do have a choice. Like we're making assumptions about what we think we're supposed to do based on the behavior of everybody else, but everybody else is doing the same thing. So, you know, being able to uh, take yourself out of that uh, and be more mindful of how you use technology and what you need it for uh, is, is vitally important. I mean, I think of... Um, you know, one of the things that, that I think we, we are losing because of this uh, distractedness of technology, and, and one um, recent Nielsen report said that we spend about two-thirds of our waking hours or 11 hours a day in some form of uh, technology, including television. And, you know, that doesn't leave us a lot of time to think. So in order to be mindful, we need to have the quiet space to think and make strategic decisions while we're not distracted. So it becomes this vicious cycle. So we need that time to step out of it, to have the quiet time, to think about what's serving me in this technology and what can I just get rid of. Hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, be proactive about it. So think, yeah, think and through be what willing you're doing. to have the quiet white space time to figure those things out. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, again, my work's in companies, but it's the same thing in, in our daily lives. You know, we all need, we need strategy time. Like, we need white space time where we can take ourselves out of the current situation and think more expansively. That's, that's when aha moments happen. That's when we get clarity. Um, we don't get that when we're surfing the Internet, checking our phone, uh, have a text coming in, and we're thinking of that, right? We need to wipe those other things out. So, uh, yeah, it requires some some thoughtfulness and diligence and some quiet time, and you can't have that if you're too distracted to get there. You just joined us. We're talking about technology in our lives, uh, going unplugged. Is that advisable? Uh, uh, Cheryl Kohlberg wrote a book about it. They went a year unplugged, she and her husband her, and her daughter, and uh, she said it was it was good for them. Now they're much more conscious of their uh, choices uh, once they've gone back. We're talking with Cheryl Kohlberg, author of A Year Unplugged, also with uh, Washington, D.C. leadership coach and author Christy Hedges, Beverly Hills family psychotherapist and author Fran Walfish, and Cape Cod, Massachusetts writer, technology consultant, mother of five, Janelle Burley-Hoffman. And we're making reference uh, to an article in the uh, Desert News National Edition by Shandra Johnson uh, on uh, this topic. And we're uh, making reference to an email that we just received from uh, Lynn McNeil from uh, USU. Made an interesting point. I want to direct that email uh, next uh, to Fran Walfish. Um, uh, and as you were t- talking about this triangle, uh, I was kind of fla- I was flashing on you know Ward Cleaver. Maybe that's who Lynn McNeil was was making reference to in her in her uh, email. And I was wondering if is, is there something different about you know because the the father's face buried in the newspaper uh, I guess could potentially be equally problematic uh, if a child wants to get the the father's attention or the mother's. You know, Lynn makes a very good point. It's a legitimate point. And the way I hear it is, she is, Lynn is saying, don't blame the breakdown of the relationship within the family solely on technology. She's right. In my opinion, it's, technology is one aspect of the breakdown of the the interpersonal relationship. I think we're living culturally in times where um, it, the Ward Cleaver family is the minority. We are now living financially in times where it requires two working paychecks to make ends meet. So, so many mothers are are having to work full-time jobs and they're not home to 
be with the kids and be there to give them one-on-one quality attention after school, even in the morning times. And when parents are at home, they do not want to fight with their kids. So my experience is parents today are much more reluctant to say no and set limits and and create boundaries with their kids. They don't want to say no. You can't be on your cell phone or your computer. And they don't want to be at war with the kids. So there's that is also part of the breakdown of within the family and the emergence of technology. Kids are allowed to to utilize cell phones, computers, in lieu of one-on-one relationship because parents don't want their kids to be angry at them and not like them when they are there. Uh, let me, uh, let me uh, get in a, a, a tweet. We've had a tweet from, uh, from Lynn. She says, uh, who has control? Instead of technology is taking all my time, we need to be honest and say I'm giving my time to uh, tech. So uh, expanding on her point. I want to uh, go back to uh, Cheryl Kohlberg. There was a scene in the book that really struck me, and it, uh, it gets into uh, how complicated these issues are. Um, so your daughter, Caitlin, um, said, I made a new friend on the playground today. Uh, not to be mean, but she's fat. But I played with her anyway because she was nice. And so you say that uh, you're going to have to call 911 to reattach your jaw that was on the floor. Um, and so, you know, you're you're not viewing television at this point. Can't blame that on, on television. But uh, uh, these sorts of messages permeate our lives through, through many different means. Yeah, I think... You know, I think it, it, even though we didn't have the television, I think she had watched so much television up to that point prior to us unplugging that the messages that the media is sending to our children are so, you know, impactful on kids. And, you know, watching the Disney Channel, I mean, now there are some characters who are all ethnicities and sizes and shapes, which is great. But for the most part, they're, you know, skinny blonde girls. And, um, the impact that media has in in all of our devices, whether it's television or, you know, online, um, really does, um, you know, have an impact on what our children think society should be. Mm. Then you go on to say, just the page over, um, you said technology has been such a huge part of who you who you are. Uh, defining your career, social life, relationships, to education, interest, and that you were realizing that point that you could be someone other than who you thought. So that's, I guess that's a product yeah. of getting away from some of the technology so that you could go back and control it. Is that or well, integ- integrated think, you in your know, life? As, I think as we've been talking, getting away from the technology does bring a sense of um, of calmness to to you and you end up being more mindful, and in being mindful, I think you really have the time to figure out who you are, whereas with our technology, we think that it's great that it allows us to do all this multitasking, and we can we think we're being more effective and efficient, but really it's distracting. It's very distracting from, um, you know, getting to know ourselves, getting to know our family and our friends better, and I think having that that peace and quiet away from the technology really is important for us. Let's take another break. When we come back, um, I'll uh, tell a story from my childhood. May or may not be interesting. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into how do you how do you teach your kids to interact appropriately with uh, with technology. Um, and we'll talk more about this. We're talking about a book, A Year Unplugged, A Family's Life Without Technology. Cheryl Kohlberg and her family did that for a year. They went back to the 80s, basically. She said she got out her record player and typewriter. They used the phone book and paper maps. And she says it enhanced our relationships with our friends and family. Technology takes that away from us, she's saying. Um, we're also talking with uh, Beverly Hills family psychotherapist and author, Fran Walfish, Cape Cod, Massachusetts writer, technology consultant, mother of five, Janelle uh, Burley Hoffman, and Washington, D.C. leadership coach and author, Christy Hedges. We hope to talk to you as well. Uh, 1-800-826-1495. What do you think? Uh, technology's effect on your family, your life. Would you unplug? Is that advisable? 
Uh, Lynn McNeil is uh, saying that uh, don't blame the technology. It's up to us to uh, control our lives and our interaction with technology and each other. More following the break. On the next Humankind to mark its 80th anniversary, we trace the remarkable history of Alcoholics Anonymous, one of America's great contributions to the world. From an awkward first conversation between two broken men in the Great Depression emerged a worldwide movement that has helped tens of millions. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. Thursday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival, featuring the taming of the shrew in the outdoor Shakespearean theater as part of the festival experience. More information at bard.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. We're talking about technology, the effects in our lives. We're talking about a book, You're Unplugged. Cheryl Kohlberg, her, her husband and uh, young daughter, went unplugged for a year. That means no TV, no phones, no Internet, no digital cameras. And uh, the, uh, the, she outlines the, its effects. She says it was a good experience. We're talking about this uh, with Cheryl Kohlberg, also with uh, Christy Hedges, Fran Walfish, and Janelle Burley Hoffman. And I'll direct to the next question, just so you know, to uh, Janelle Burley Hoffman. Um, so, uh, a little experience from my childhood. We grew up with, for most of my growing up years, uh, without television. My parents uh, felt that they wanted to do that. Uh, but we found a way. There was a kindly uh, next-door couple, elderly couple, and we would troop over there. And me especially, I remember I'd spend hours on end over there with the, with the next-door <laughs> neighbors. And I wondered, uh, you know, growing up and then later when I got to college and st- such, I spent a lot of time in front of television. Um, so I wonder, General Burley Hoffman, what would you, what would you say at, at uh, teach your kids, have them with the technology, teach them to use it. Um, is, is it healthy to have, you know, to remove such technology? I don't know. Yeah, I think this is also a, a worthwhile topic to discuss because um, te- the technology is here to stay. I mean, certainly in, in my own children's lives, it's in the classroom, you know, it's it's in our homes. and But where can we find the space uh, away from it, too? So, again, it's like anything. It comes back to to balance, and it comes back to not how much we use it, but how we use it, you know, really curating that experience. So it's it's about health, and we're looking at the technology as part of a bigger health conversation. And and what does that actually mean? You know, like you said, you know, kids are going to use it. And I was finding that with my son when he wanted his first cell phone, and I was saying no, and I was delaying it. And then, you know, he he would be on YouTube on his friend's phone um, outside. So I was seeing that it was infiltrating their lives and that I was going to be only able to resist it to a certain degree. So what I really felt important was that I was teaching them how to use the technology, just like it sounds like is, is a value to everybody in this conversation, is how can we use it so that it's a reflection of our family, it's a reflection of what's important to us, and then it also, it can be a fun tool, it can be an academic tool, it can be, it can be engaging, and it can actually enhance our lives when, when we use it in, in reflection of what we stand for as a family. Mm. Fred Walfish, in this uh, Desert News article, uh, making reference to, um, you say that we, we need to use this technology as a, treat it as a privilege, for the kids, not a, not a right. It should be a privilege. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, so many kids that I meet with in my office have the view of the cell phone as their own. This is my computer, my cell phone. And when the parents set boundaries for instance, it's 9.30, I'm going to take your computer out of your room or I'm going to turn off your cell phone, the child gets indignant. You can't take my cell phone. I help parents view it as a privilege, not an entitlement. In other words, the message needs to be Mom and Dad love you. We want to give you this um, with the expectation that you will do your schoolwork as first priority, 
that you will follow rules with one reminder. In other words, parents are not going to repeat commands 12, 15 times till your kid decides to pay attention, listen, get up, and follow the rule. Um, we all know what that's, what that's like. Um, you are going to get passing good grades, and then we want you to be able to use these electronics with following our expectations. And when you don't, mom and dad will retrieve them. So in other words, they belong to mom and dad. They're privileges that you get to use when you shore up your responsibility, your end of the deal. Mm. Let me turn uh, back to uh, Cheryl Kohlberg. One of the uh, scenes in the book that really that really struck me um, was the uh, kindergarten graduation. Could, you, could mm-hmm. you tell me about that? Normally you would have taken the digital camera and you would have been up up there with all the other parents but you're but you're unplugged you can't do that what what happened yeah i think for me the hardest thing to give up was our digital video camera because it was you know there's so many things throughout the year that we want to capture on film which you know from christmas to birthdays um my daughter my daughter had ballet recitals and singing you know things and so, you know, her kindergarten graduation was one of the things that we encountered that year, and it was complete with their little caps and gowns and diplomas, and you know, it was a lot of fanfare. They were doing a little performance and everything, and, and leaving the house that day, I was in tears that I wasn't going to be able to capture it on my video camera, and I even, you know dug it out and said, oh, I'll just bring it with me and maybe I could just capture a little and I can just cheat this one time. And, and ironically, when I got there, the, the, I forget what it was, if the battery died or I ran out of space on my memory card, you know, typical technology thing. And it ended up not, not working for me anyway. But while I was sitting there without being able to videotape it, the woman in front of me was sitting with one hand with a video camera and one hand with a still camera capturing this moment through the lens of her camera. And it really struck me that, you know, here I was really taking in the moment, living in the moment and remembering and watching. And it was so much more impactful on me to not be living life through the lens of a camera. And I think so much of today we do that. I I went to a concert recently with my daughter and her complaint was, gosh, mom, all my friends were videotaping the concert on their iPhones. I mean, literally every single person in the audience was videotaping it on their iPhone. And she said, you know, they weren't even really appreciating the concert and watching it. And she said, and at my age, they're just going to erase it anyway to make room for the next thing they want to videotape. So I think that that is a really important message, and it really just struck me that, that day. Yeah, that's and we've all seen the you know those scenes or maybe participated in that, where you, you got a camera in each hand and and you're desperately trying to document. Documenting is good, right? But but remember to experience it. Yeah, exactly. Let me turn back to uh, Christy Hedges. Uh, so I wonder, h- how do we decide what the boundaries are, what what the limits are? Where how do we decide where what our best level is with technology? Gosh, John, that's a great question. So it, it's certainly individual for every person. And, you know, part of it is really getting a sense of what our own stress level is. And is, is it where we want it to be? Or do we feel like we need more time? Uh, I think many of us, you know, kind of walk around feeling like we just need that extra day of the week and then we'd get everything done. Uh, but being able to, to really think about what, um, you know, what's going to work for us and starting from that perspective versus what everybody else is doing, which is generally where we start. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed the conversation about uh, family life and, and how to manage it with your family. Uh, and I think we, that starts by managing it with ourselves. 
And I, you know, when I, you know, certainly think about my own technology use, I mean, you know, I travel a lot. I, I use technology. It's a huge part of my world, and it's important to me. I'm also a parent, and, and I use a lot of technology to help manage my kids' lives. And, of course, they, they use technology. It's all around us. Um, you know, it, sometimes it strikes me that the things that we use technology for are very simple in terms of, of reward for us. So we want to know what something means, so we go on the Internet and find it. Um, we want to solve a problem and feel good about our competencies, so we send out an email at work and you know, we get this immediate feedback. But with our family life, um, it's not so, you know, cut and dried. You know, it's sometimes more difficult and complex. We're trying to manage our, our children to change their behavior or, you know, trying to get a, a surly teenager to do what we want them to do. Uh, and it's a lot harder and, and more complex and maybe not as easy to feel that gratification. So, you know, we make that split-second decision without even thinking it's a decision that, oh, I'll, I'll respond to this email instead of dealing with my surly teenager. Um, and we need to take ownership for that because that's, that choice starts with us. Mm. Let me uh, turn back to Cheryl Kohlberg. Uh, so you went a year, and there's some great scenes in the book. You'll have to have to read the book. Uh, for example, um, you you take a typewriter to a public place, and a crowd gathers. <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, so just uh, just about a minute. What's what's your takeaway? You 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 did a year unplug. Now you're mm-hmm. back, but I'm I'm sure you learned you know a lesson or two. Yeah, yeah. We you know we are back on technology now, but. Um... I think the biggest takeaway for us is that we're more conscious, as, as the conversation has, has um, as, as we've talked about today, that we're more conscious of our use of technology. And, um, you know, for example, it drives me crazy, and, and I've been guilty of it too, but it drives me crazy, for example, on Facebook, how many people are posting pictures of their lavish vacations, you know, and wouldn't it be a better use of our technology if we were using Facebook for, you know, to inspire others or to educate others rather than just for our own self-gratification? So I definitely think we're more conscious of our use of technology rather than just automatically texting someone. I will try to call them instead and, and make that connection more personal. Um, and rather than just coming home from our day, we don't just turn on the TV as soon as we get home. We try to make an effort to, um, you know, spend time as a family. So I think that it, as as most of the guests on today's show have said, that it really is up to us how we use our technology and that if we can just be more aware of our use of technology and make it, um, you know, use it when it's um, appropriate and and just use it in a way that's more uh, better fit for our lifestyle, causes less stress and, and things like that. So definitely we don't use it as much as we did before we unplugged, and we are definitely more aware of how we use it now. And we're out of time. We'll have to leave it there. Um, the book is uh, A Year Unplugged. The author is Cheryl Kohlberg. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We've been, uh, been talking with Washington, D.C. leadership coach and author Christy Hedges. Thank you to you. Thanks, Tom. Beverly Hills family psychotherapist and author friend Walfish has been with us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, writer, technology consultant, mother of five, Janelle Burley Hoffman. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you can continue this discussion on our website, where you can uh, find the audio for the program, uh, upr.org. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we'll be talking with uh, Frederick Schwartz. His book is Democracy in the Dark. He argues that we've entered a secrecy era, where secrecy increasingly subverts democracy by preventing citizens from making informed choices required in a government of, by, and for the people. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Sleep is essential and can make a big difference in your quality of life, but yet millions of people suffer from lack of sleep. Adults should aim for an average of seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Here are some useful tips in ensuring a good night's rest. Stick to the same bedtime and wake-up times. Practice a relaxing bedtime ritual. This can include avoiding bright lights, such as your phone and computer, which can activate your brain and instead engage in calming activities such as reading. Sleep on a comfortable mattress and pillow. 
When you have too much to do or too many thoughts racing through your head, your sleep can suffer. Simple tasks such as being organized, setting priorities, and making lists can help release stress and help you wind down for the day. Keep it cool. A temperature that is too hot or too cold can interfere with your sleep. Aim for a temperature between 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. This is Nicole Jackson for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Remember to live well, work well, and be well. Deseret News columnist Steve Eaton. I'm out of time. I have too many urgent things on my to-do list. Too many things that have to be done right now. I saw a Twilight Zone episode once where a woman discovers a gold pendant in her garden and puts it on, not knowing that she is in an episode of the Twilight Zone. Her life is busy, out of control, and loud. At one point, she gets so frustrated with the multiple demands on her by her family and the noise all about her that she shouts, Shut up! And everything freezes. Her kids and her husband suddenly stop talking mid-sentence. At first, of course, she's startled, but she discovers time restarts again as soon as she says, Start talking! She decides this is a very cool thing and takes to stopping time frequently as she goes through her normal routine. Because many of the Twilight Zone episodes are based on real things that have actually happened in Washington, D.C., I started wondering how I could take advantage of such time-stopping power. I even considered working in the garden in hopes of finding a golden pennant, but I couldn't find the time to do it. I'm just a tiny bit overweight. What if I froze time just long enough for me to lose 350 pounds? One day, I'd come to work looking like Chris Farley, and the next day I'd stroll in looking like Rocky Balboa, just after he finished one of his training montages. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, forget self-improvement. What could I do to make the presidential campaign more interesting? Well, personally, I would choose at first to do very subtle things, like add a bozo the clown nose to a candidate just before a major address. Can you imagine what the Secret Service would do if suddenly a red nose appeared on President Obama's face just seconds before a live broadcast? Would they knock him down, pull off the red nose, and shoot it? Imagine the president being hustled away while four or five guys blast away at a plastic red nose on the ground with their machine guns. Or I could sabotage a conservative Republican chances of winning the nomination by stopping time and putting a button on him or her that says, Think win-win. No matter what the candidate said after that, there would always be fear that, if elected, he or she would search for win-win solutions that would benefit the entire country. That could ruin a presidential campaign for sure. If I were really ambitious, I could sneak into a church and replace all the hymn books with new ones featuring lyrics written by me. We all are jerks who hate to work and we wear rubber shorts. I suppose there are already more than a few of you who are arguing right now that clearly I don't have a shortage of time, but instead much too much time on my hands. Laugh if you want, but next time you notice that the presidential candidates are saying some really funny and odd things, you might ask yourself, has Steve been gardening lately? If I get lucky in the garden, I predict there will be some startled campaign speechwriters out there, and I think we'll all be enjoying the show more than usual. Someone should warn the British that the British are coming. This is Steve Eaton. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.